0: Welcome back to the Ethnos New Brunswick Podcast. We've got something special in store for all of you listeners. This episode is the first of a two-part series where we have members from the global Ethnos community visiting us and sharing about holistic transformation in the places they call home. So please, stick around. I promise it'll be worth your time. Today, as many of you know, uh, we have the very, very special opportunity to hear from a friend uh, of Ethnos from Zimbabwe. His name is Evan. Uh, I'm not going to try to give him an intro because there's too much to say, but I just want to let you know how Evan is connected to our Ethnos family. Some of you know that our work on the African continent uh, really started uh, through a Zimbabwean living in South Africa by the name of Tafara. And Tafara's been here at Ethnos a few times, uh, and Tafara and our are very good friends, and Tafara. Have, few months ago, actually said, hey, my friend Evan is going to be in your region. Would you be willing just to uh, meet up with him, have some time with them, host him, and what have you? And uh, Evan and I got a chance to meet uh, last month, and we really began to hit it off and sense uh, something special together. And so, Uh, we decided to have Evan here, or Evan really wanted to come here. I was like, Evan, no, you're on a break. You shouldn't be here. And he's like, no, no, I really want to be here to share with you guys my story. And so uh, we're so glad that Evan's here. Uh, As usual, as we have these conversations, uh, they will eventually talk about Jesus, and Evan will kind of explain a little bit more about his journey there as well. But we just want to make it clear, especially uh, if you're just coming in from the city for the first time, uh, this is a place for all people. And so as we have these conversations, Feel free to bring what you think, what you feel, your, your perspective on what is discussed here uh, to the tables, literally, as we have discussion and as we discuss this afterwards, okay? So don't, don't be threatened by uh, the message of Jesus that may come. In any case, let's give Evan a warm welcome, and uh, he'll be introducing himself and guiding wow. our time.
1: Thank you so much, Yukan. Um, it is such a pleasure to be with you this morning. And uh, I have to tell you the the number of things that went through my mind when I met with Yukan uh, about a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, I said, what are you doing in the U.S.? And I said, I'm, you know, I'm taking some time to rest, rest just, you know, being through a, quite a bit of stress and so forth. And later on, we're going to talk about the church and uh you know, you know when, when I got around to, eventually, he got around to inviting me to come and speak. And I said, where do you meet? And he says, well, we meet at the Stress Factory. And I, <laughs> I kind of thought, oh, I thought, oh, dude, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get away from this stuff. <laughs> you want me to go where they make it? <laughs> but then I found out, you know, that the Stress Factory is, is actually a comedy club. In the back of my mind, I actually, I actually thought, you know, these guys were a bunch of jokers. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying some comedy here, guys. Come on. <laughs> work with me. Work with me, folks. <laughs> oh, man, that's it. That's, that's, that's all I'd prepared for the joke. So, 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 so I'm done. I've, I've, I've run out. But I, I am from Zimbabwe. You can thank you so much, my brother. This man has been just in the last, maybe it's been two weeks now that we've met, the last two weeks maybe two-and-a-half weeks, he's been such a blessing to me, such a friend. So, I mean, I feel, like, uh, I feel like we got separated at birth somewhere, you know. Um, and, and then he he ended up, he ended up somewhere in, in a Chinese family somewhere. I ended up with an African family. And, you know, due to the exposure to the sun, I got a bit darker. He remained a bit lighter. <laughs> But, I mean, I could have known him all my life just from the, from the time we've had together. So thank you so much uh, for your friendship. Thank you for your care and your concern uh, for, for somebody who really could have been a total stranger. But I think because of the things that the mission that God has put me on and that he's put you on, uh, there's been a kindred spirit uh, in both of us. So thank you so much for that. I, uh, I come to you from the nation of Zimbabwe. For those of you that don't know where it is, it was on the south, uh, uh, the 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 south bit of Africa, just above South Africa. That's where Zimbabwe is, a country of about 13, maybe 14 million people, and um, that's where I've lived uh, for 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 my uh, you know my my whole life, um, and that's where we also do the work uh, that we believe God has called us to do, and we've done that for a number of years. I started out in youth ministry, and eventually began to look after. Uh, a church there in in Zimbabwe. This morning what I'm going to attempt to do is to share with you a little bit of my story um, and uh, and then try and extract some, some things that I have learned from there with you uh, that I hope could help you in your own life, that I hope could help you in your own community uh, as well. But I... In 2016, I, I did something that I never, ever thought I would, I would do. And I was sitting in my small church office, and it had been a tough day. It was a tough week. It had been a tough month, really. It had been a tough year. Okay, it had been a tough life <laughs> up, to, up until that point. And our nation had been through so much. In 2008, I'll never forget this, our economy tanked so badly that we ended up with a $100 trillion note. Think about that for a second. $100 trillion on one note. And that, at the height of inflation, that note was just enough for for a haircut. You you couldn't even walk into a shop and, and, and buy a loaf of bread. What would happen is that as you waited in the queue to buy bread, your money would lose value as the queue moved towards the purchase point. So by the time you got to buy your bread, what you held in your hand was not enough to buy what was on the shelf. And the time the man who led the country, Robert Mugabe, who's now late, had allowed the country to be so run down, the levels of corruption, the levels of poverty, the levels of injustice. This was a dictatorial nation beyond anything that you can imagine. And we had grown up in this. The intimidation, the levels of fear had always been quite high. The brutality was very open. And so in 2016, I'm sitting in my office and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I can take this anymore. And I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, is there any way Is there any way that you can bring change? And so I identify with the song you guys sang this morning, Waiting on the World to Change. And I sat in my office thinking, should I wait like my parents waited? Should I sit and wait and, and hope that something changes and risk the fact that my children will have to also sit and wait for change that may never come? Because sometimes we wait for change because we're told it's coming. And so I sat there and just wept, because on this particular day, I had run out of ideas to, pro- to provide for my family. I couldn't put food on the table. Now, never forget this. I was sitting there. My Bible was on my table and my, uh, my, uh, my, uh, my, my flag, the Zimbabwe flag. By the way, if you're wondering, this is the Zimbabwe flag that I have here. So when I saw the Black History Month uh, graphic go up, it has the colors of Zimbabwe, which pretty much are Pan-African colors. I thought this is pretty interesting that I'm also here during this time. And this flag was sitting in the corner of my office and I took this flag and I took my phone and I propped my phone up against my Bible and I recorded a four minute video. And it was a video that I posted up on YouTube, that's the graphic of it, it's not the actual video. But this, in this video, I just began to pour out from my heart what I was frustrated about. And I spoke to Zimbabwe and I said, listen, we have, we have a job to do in this nation. And that job is to speak up and stand up for what is wrong in our country. If we love this country like we say we do, we must say something. We must stand up. And so I spoke and I did this. Now Our church is a church of about, at the time it was a church of about maybe 70 people. Okay, 50 people, I lie. There you go. <laughs> you know, I, I try to speak evangelistically. I try to stretch it a little bit. I <laughs> speak by faith. Like There's more people than there actually were. And so it's not a big church by any stretch of the imagination. It's very much like you guys. You're nice and cozy and homely. No one knew we were there. Nobody cared our church was there. We're just, we're just a group of people. And I recorded this little video not knowing or not even thinking it would go anywhere and posted it on Facebook. Within 24 hours, this little video had been viewed, I think at the time it was about 250,000 times. And something began to happen that I wasn't sure I was ready for. People began to watch this video and they began to talk about how a new movement, a new voice for freedom and liberty, And a new voice that was challenging the authority was now rising. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, whoa, 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 That's not what this is. (laughs) I was just angry. In fact, you know what? I was just ranting. It was a moment of madness. I just said some stuff. But this thing kept on growing and kept on growing. And soon enough, we had a citizens movement that was birthed from this one four-minute video by a pastor from a church, an unknown pastor from a church that nobody actually knew about. Over the next couple of months, this movement began to grow. I don't know what picture we have next, so I'll just ask you to go to the next one. So this is Robert Mugabe, who was was the president at the time. And he'd been the president since 1980. And the, the way he had ruled Zimbabwe, I don't have the time to talk about that. And also, it's just the experience of what happened with Robert Mungabe was quite brutal. In the 1980s, he oversaw the murder of over 20,000 people in the south of our country because he was afraid that they would come and they would form a political formation and take him out of power, and so those people were murdered. But that's how brutal he was. And I'm sharing all of this with you so that you understand the context, the context of what then happened and why I believe with all my heart that no matter who you are, whether you know God or not, he has a mission and a purpose for your life. And that that mission is only a prayer away. My message title this morning, if I get to it hopefully, is when people pray. When people pray. Let's go to the next, I don't know what the next picture is. Over the next couple of months, and I want to explain how we got to this, you Probably, you know, you can read that, but let me tell you about this. And this is a, a, such an unlikely arrival at, at, this, at this point. But what happened was that as we began to challenge the authorities, we dwelt on three things, corruption, injustice, and poverty. And we began to speak about how this was not right that our nation would carry on going in this way. At one point, the government then introduced a new law that is essentially would, would cause the savings or the money that you had in your bank to be worth nothing. Again, this is in 2016. Think about this. What would happen in this country if the government suddenly decided, we're going, the money you have in your account, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take that. Okay? We're going to take that, and we're going to use it and you're not going to have anything to say about it. It's probably a little bit difficult to think about, but that's what was happening in Zimbabwe. So we got up and we said, listen, we can't have this. You cannot take people's money. You cannot just go and rob people's money. It's wrong. And so the government wouldn't listen, and they were going ahead. They were introducing a new currency that was worthless. And essentially what people had done in Zimbabwe is that we had deposited U.S. dollars into our accounts because we had to use U.S. dollars. Since 2008 it happened and our economy literally fell off the cliff, so we introduced U.S. dollars in Zimbabwe, so everybody had U.S. dollars in their accounts. And the government just came and said, you know what? We like what you have in your bank accounts. So we're going to print a new kind of money, and we're going to replace. We'll give you that, and we'll take your dollars. So you will have one, what is called a bond note. So you will have one bond note for every one U.S. dollar. But the bond note is something you can't use outside the country. You can only use it here. This is a whole government. I'm not telling you something from a movie. This actually happened. So we stood up and I said, I recorded, I remember recording a video and I said, listen, I am a nobody. But the one thing I know is that God is not happy with injustice. God is not happy when people are abused in this way. We are being robbed. And so what we're going to do in order for our government to hear us and to understand what we're saying, we're going to protest. But there's a problem. In Zimbabwe, you're not allowed to protest on the street. It's illegal to do that. So we thought, what do we do? Why don't we do a reverse protest instead of going on the street, let's everyone stay at home. Everybody stay at home. We pick one day and we stay at home. And that was the day that we chose. It was Wednesday, the 6th of July 2016. We called it "Shutdown Zimbabwe. And we said nobody opens their business. Nobody goes to school. Nobody goes to work. Everyone stay at home. I didn't think that it would really go anywhere. This was just one of those things we thought, let's just try and see what happens. Right across the country, from top to bottom, over 13 million people heeded the call, and the entire country came to a complete standstill. I have never been more afraid in my life than on that particular day. I remember feeling like going door to door to knock on people's doors to say, "Listen, that was just—you need to go to work. You have—you—you've got—you need to take your kids to school." But this whole thing came to a stop. And I'm standing there with a couple of my friends and we're scratching our heads thinking, what just happened? Why have 13 million people listened, listened to somebody that they don't know, someone who is a nobody, someone who, who has nothing? The backstory to all of this is that this entire journey began, began with a prayer. Three friends of mine and I had been meeting every Friday night. Every Friday night at my house at midnight, we would meet and pray for an hour. Now, the reason we were meeting at midnight was a very practical reason. We all had kids, so we had to make sure that they had been put to bed, first of all, and when they had fallen asleep, we would all then go and we would spend time in prayer. But our focal point was we would pray for our nation, that God would find a way to help Zimbabwe. This is all before all of this began. On the last Friday that we prayed, before that first video went up, we had one prayer point that we prayed about. And this is what it said. It said, Lord, give us a seat and a voice at the table that decides the future of this nation. I would lie to you if I say that I completely and totally expected that God would answer that prayer. And so many of us do that. We pray prayers that we don't really think God is going to answer. They're, just, they're nice to pray. They kind of make us feel good about the problem. Well, at least I prayed about it. I said something to God about it. So I guess he'll sort it out. He'll find someone else. He'll find a way. He'll do something. Even if I never hear about it or never get involved, I'm sure he's God. He'll do something about it. But I prayed about it. Let me show you the next picture. And so this began to happen. This, we put that up on Facebook. Go to the next one. And the next one. This is one of the main newspapers in Zimbabwe, and it says there, Mawarire's this flag rattles Mugabe. So I am Evan. I'm Evan Mawarire. You guys call me Evan. In Zimbabwe, I'm called Ivan. Yeah. There are people, sometimes when they call me Evan when I'm here. they Evan, Evan, I keep sitting there. In my mind, I'm thinking, I wish Evan would respond. And then eventually, I think, oh, wait a minute, you're talking to me. You're calling me, right? So Mawarire is my, is my, is my surname. But when the shutdown happened, Robert Mugabe was not happy. (laughs) Naturally, he was not happy. And so they began to talk about who are these people that are trying to topple the government. And I remember thinking, whoa, 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 topple the, topple the, no, that was, that's not, this is not what we are trying, are you kidding me? We are not trying to to topple the, topple the government? This is not what we are trying to do. And so within a few days, let's go to the next picture. Within a few days, I was now being called a terrorist. This escalated so fast, so quickly. Suddenly, I became someone that everybody knew as Ivan Mawarire, the terrorist. And so it didn't take long before this happened. After the shutdown happened, I stayed from safe house to safe house. I was no longer safe at home or at my office, so I was in hiding for about two weeks in Zimbabwe. I couldn't leave the country because the police were looking for me at this point. Eventually, I was arrested. And once arrested, I was then charged with attempting to overthrow a constitutionally elected government. It's a treason charge that face, that uh, gives you over 20 years in prison if you're found guilty without the option for a fine and without the option for a reduction in the number of years. I couldn't believe it. I'd never gotten a parking ticket in my life. I'd never been arrested for anything serious, nothing, not a parking ticket. And we went from no arrest straight to treason. i never forget the day that we were... The day that I was now in court for my bail hearing, man, there's just so much to tell. But On this particular day, we, we got ready to go to the courts and the police said to me, we, we're going to delay going to court for your bail hearing because we hear that there's a, there's a crowd gathering at the courts. There's about 200 people at the courts and uh, we want that crowd to dissipate and to go away before we go. So we waited for about an hour. And then more people came. (laughs) So they said, no, we can't go now because there's now about 500 people, so we can't go. So we're going to wait another hour. So we waited an hour and guess what happened? More people came. And the longer we waited, the bigger the crowd grew, up until a point where there was between five and 6,000 people that gathered at the courts in a matter of hours. I hadn't called anybody. I didn't have that many friends anyway. this crowd swelled and they all came with their zimbabwe flags and one of the most amazing things began to happen people began to kneel in prayer at the courts waiting for me to be brought praying for our nation and demanding that i be released i i, I didn't know what was happening even up to now i struggled to wrap my head around what took place in this nation at this time eventually that night uh, that, that evening, people gathered right into the night. I was supposed to have come before the magistrate at about 8 in the morning. This is now 8 p.m. The, the gathering had grown. People brought candles, and they stood outside, and they said, we're not leaving until that man is released. Eventually, that night, I was released. If you go to the next slide. This is an amazing moment. When I got to the courts to be, to be tried, I came there with one lawyer. And this is an incredible moment that happened in this this trial. The place was packed with people. And the magistrate asked that my lawyer stands up. And he says, would the lawyer who's representing this man stand up and present his credentials? And as he stood up, this group, you can't see the whole picture. But there was about 160 other lawyers that stood up at the same time. And they all produced their credentials. I'll never forget I was sitting in the dock and I just began to sob. Because that whole night when I had been in prison where I was in the jail cell, I had cried tears and I said, Lord, I don't know what I've done wrong. I had gone through an interrogation through midnight. And the, 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 the central intelligence officers who had, who had interrogated me had threatened my family. My wife was pregnant at the time. I have three, three, three little daughters, by the way. So I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and we had a, we, had, we had a third one on the way. And this man said to me that, he says, you see, the thing that you, this whole thing you're doing trying to topple the government, you're here in prison, how about your family? What would you do if your wife was raped tonight? And you were here, you, there's, 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 you, you can't go home, you can't look after them. What would you do if that happened because of what you're doing? And that whole night I hadn't been able to sleep just thinking what is happening to my family. And I remember praying. I said, Lord, I, I don't know. I didn't ask for this journey. And he said, I, 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 I. I think we did have a conversation that you began. You started a conversation and you said, give us a seat and a voice at the table that decides. Then I said, I know what I said. Thank you. I know what I said. I said right so this is the journey this is the journey that night i was i was i was amazed at what happened if you go to the next picture this is one of the cartoons that was in the in the in the in the newspaper the police were claiming that i was in possession of dangerous articles and this is what they found when they came to the house. They found my Bible and my flag. They came and searched my house, searched my office, and they, you know eventually everyone was talking about the dangerous articles uh, you know that the government was threatening I had. But if you go to the next slide, that night, I was released, and there were thousands of people outside, and the jubilation, the moment of just of just, of just being amazed at what had happened. People power had triumphed, the voice of people, people who stood up, stood up to a dictator. For the first time in 36 years, people had found the courage to stand up to this brutal man and say, enough is enough. But it had all begun in prayer. It had all begun in a place where we asked God to intervene, where we asked God to get involved in our lives and in our nation. And the crux of my message this morning, and I'll get into a little bit of Scripture, is just to let you know that when people pray, things happen. That I know sometimes it, it feels like, I don't know, I don't know whether, you know, prayer just doesn't sound practical. It is one of the most practical things you could ever do in dealing with a situation in your life or in your community. And whether you are a seasoned follower of Christ or whether you are just starting out your walk with Christ, there is a place where you've got to engage in prayer. And prayer is simply conversation with God. It is touching the heart, the Father heart of God. It is is, is you spending time with your daddy and your daddy spending time with you. It is you telling your daddy what is on your heart, the deepest desires of your heart, and him telling you what the deepest desires of his heart are for you. If you have children, you know, you know what playtime is like with your children. Playtime with your children is the time that your children get to know who you really are. They get to know your fun side, but they also get to trust you. I love this. See, I love the way you're holding your daughter. That's your daughter? Your son. See, the way, you, the way you're holding, the way you, you... See, he feels that and he understands that. That when I'm with, when I'm with Dad, everything is okay. But it happens in playtime. It happens in these moments. This is what prayer is like. It teaches us to trust God. But the journey carried on from there. And uh, if you go to the next picture, this is still out with the crowds. We'll go to the next one.
0: To give all of you listeners a little bit of context, Yvonne had just switched over to a picture of himself photoshopped as Captain Zimbabwe.
1: This is... Okay, okay, all right, all right. Okay, I can explain this. First of all, I did not design this. But this was such an important, uh, uh, important aspect of this because it made me laugh. And I saw this after i had come out of prison. And I, was, I literally had escaped. I'll tell you about the escape journey another day. But a young man somewhere in Zimbabwe designed this thing. And I, I mean, when I saw it, I thought, I'm going to keep this. This, this, this I'm going to keep. You know, and, 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 you know, he designed this whole thing. Of obviously, you know, they, there's another guy that I've seen that looks just like this, similar to this one. He's an American guy, I think. It yes, looks the same, but it was just amazing to see the interpretation that people were having of what was happening, you know, at that time. It was, it was us discovering that the heroes we were looking for for our nation were inside of us. Particularly for me, it was discovering that those heroes are heroes inspired by the Spirit of God. Amen? Well, let's go to the next one, and, and uh, you know, I'll go through there. Eventually, I was classified as a dangerous criminal, uh, even though I'd been released and they were looking for me, even though, uh, you know, the, the, the courts had released me. They, they, you see, we have a system of government that doesn't really play by the rules, all right? So the courts have released you, uh, but the central intelligence, they do what they want. As far as they're concerned, this is a dangerous criminal. And so immediately, I became a fugitive and I went on the run and had to eventually escape the country. I'm not sure what the next picture is, but you can go to that. And uh, these are university students that we were now working with, but that was now across uh, the country in South Africa. There's a whole escape story, which again is from the pages of a... a I mean, it's, it has to be from a movie somewhere. You know, the, the, at the time that the government was now looking for me after I'd been released, I had to leave the country. It, was, it had become way too dangerous. And we were able to get my family out first, and then I had to leave. And I left through a very small border. We drove about six, maybe seven hours uh, in in the middle of the night. The man who actually drove me to the border, who came to pick me up, introduced himself this way. He came and said, right, Pastor E, a lot of people call me Pastor E in Zimbabwe. So he says to me, Pastor E, first and foremost, you don't know who I am, and you will never know who I am. You don't know who I work for, and you'll never know who I work for. My job is to make sure that you get to this border in the next seven hours. I will not allow you to ask me what I do for a living or anything else. I just need to make sure that you get there. That's the job I do. We drove for about seven hours, and we'll drive through through police checkpoints that are on the highway in Zimbabwe. And I would have to pretend like I was a passenger fast asleep on the passenger seat with a hat covering my, my face and a big jacket covering my body to pretend as if I was fast asleep. When we got to the border, a very small and secluded border. He gave me a little mobile phone and he said to me, you are on your own. If you get caught, I do not know you. I've never seen you. And if I am caught as well, I will deny that I actually know you. However, with this little phone, once you have crossed over, please give me a call. And once you have given me a call and that you are safe, I'll tell you who will pick you up on the other side. And the moment we are done with that call, you'll take the battery out and you'll throw the phone away. I I stood there and I thought, this is like a Jason Bourne movie. What (laughs) are we doing here? But again... Somehow, somehow God just arranged and organized for safe passage in these different places. At that particular border, and I'm watching my time here. At that particular border, it was early in the morning. It opens at 6 in the morning and closes, I think, at about 6 in the evening. So it was early in the morning. I was one of the first people to get to that border. And I presented my passport at the border. And when, I, when, when this man looked at the passport, it was a... a a border crossing that doesn't have any computers, and that's why we used it, so that there wouldn't be any recognition if an alert had been sent out of who I was. And so when we got to the border, the man looked at my passport, and he opened a big ledger book that he, was, that he fills uh, the, the details in. And as he's filling, the, he's filling the details in, he's looking at my passport, and he doesn't look up at me. He's filling it in, and he says to me, your surname looks very familiar. Are you related to that pastor guy who's causing a lot of trouble up in Harare? <laughs> And I'm standing right in front of him and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? (laughs) I didn't want to speak because at this point, by the way, after that first video, I didn't mention this, the way we had grown the movement, because you're not allowed to have political gatherings or gatherings that, uh, you know, of this nature in Zimbabwe, the way we had grown grown the movie was through videos. So up until this point, I had done about 185 videos. Can you imagine from doing one video that I didn't intend to do, I ended up with about 185 videos. And again, at each time I recorded a video, I would say, okay, this is the last one. We're going to try and do a video as the last one to try and stop this movement so that we don't get into trouble. And 185 videos later, you know, you know this, this thing kept growing. So this man says to me, are you related to this guy? I didn't respond. I didn't want to say anything because I thought he would recognize my voice. So I just, I kind of laughed and I just said, hmm. And I was putting on this hat that had been given to me, a big, wide-brimmed hat. You're talking about cricket. If you know the game of cricket, cricket is put on a big hat when you're on the field playing cricket to shield you from the sun. And someone had loaned that to me to make sure that I can cover my face. And I'd taken my glasses off, and I put this hat right just to try and cover my face. And this man, just before he stamps my passport, he says, "Um, I'll be back just now. Give me two minutes. I'm coming back just now. And he takes off and he goes into a room on the side. And I'm standing right there and I'm thinking, that's it, we're done. That's that's all, folks. This is where it ends. He's he's gonna take me away. It's over, it's over, it's over. And I'm standing there and I'm in my mind, I'm just thinking, Lord, where are you? Lord, this is not supposed to be happening. And he rushes off into this room, and then he suddenly comes back and he takes his stamp and he stamps my passport and he hands me my passport. And so I'm standing there and I'm thinking, okay. And then, because in my mind, it's already done that, hey, listen, I'm, I'm under arrest. And he asked me, and then he says, sorry, excuse me, I need to serve the other people behind you. So I realized at this point, that oh, wait a minute, I think, I don't think what I thought, I don't think what I thought is, is what I think, is what I thought was, I was thinking was, was happening. And so I start to walk off out, it's a very small building. And I'm starting to walk out of this door going out. And as I go out, I can see the boom gate where I could cross over. I can see the bridge that the nameless, faceless man who dropped me off at the border had told me about. And I'm thinking, that's it. If I can get past the boom and onto the bridge, I'm good. And I'm pretty much on my way. As I am stepping out of the door looking at this boom, that immigration officer who just stand my passport, he says, oh, by the way, you travel safely, Pastor E, okay? <laughs> and he knew who I was and let me go. And I remember I didn't, I didn't respond. I didn't look back. I thought, you're not going to say Just keep going. <laughs> I walked off and off I went into freedom. But that, the journey even then continued. Five months later, I I actually escaped into South Africa. We spent some time there, but there was an attempt to abduct myself and my family whilst in South Africa. So we had to leave South Africa and found our way to the United States. So we landed in the United States and we found a place where my family could be in safety. And we were there until my daughter was born. A month after she was born, I felt in my heart that God was saying to me, I want you to pack your bag and go back to Zimbabwe. The work is not done i never forget looking at my wife and saying to her, sweetheart, this is what I have to do. And if there's any husband in here who can tell the truth about looking at your wife and telling them that you're about to do something absolutely stupid and ridiculous, you know the look on your wife's face. It is that look that says, look, if you want to die, I can do it for you. I can kill you right now. I can take you out if that's if that's what you want, I'll take you out myself. And so I said to her, Look, this is what I need to do. I know this is crazy, but this is giving me sleepless nights. I have to go. And she's holding our one-month-old baby, and I'll never forget it. She looked at me, and she said, you know, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. But if this is what you need to do, then you're better off doing it and not being here. You're better off doing what God called you to do and not being here. So I packed up my bag, and, and I headed back to Zimbabwe. Probably one of the toughest journeys I've ever traveled in my life. First February 2017, I got back to Zimbabwe. Landed at the airport, and before my passport could be stamped to get into the country, I was approached by nine men, and immediately I was arrested. Immediately. This was five months later. That's me going now back. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I here? I was in a safe place. Why did I come back? Everyone in the country was asking the same question. What kind of an idiot is this guy? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what the journey would be like, but somehow I just felt like, look, if, if it is the voice of God, then I'll be safe. Then I'll be fine. I began a journey for 2017 I was eventually taken through and taken to the maximum security prison, Chikurubi Maximum Security Prison. And the one thing I never left was my Bible. That you see there is my old Bible. I didn't travel with it this time. It's become a bit tattered and torn, and I didn't want to end up losing it, so I just keep it at home now. I had my Bible with me is the one thing I always requested whenever I got into prison. Can I please take my Bible with me? Sometimes I'll take my Bible and my flag, but I always had my Bible with me. But I spent a month in Chikurubi Maximum Security Prison, and let me give you an idea of what Chikurubi Maximum Security Prison is like. It's not a comfortable place. It's a place where, in a small room of about 12 by 12 meters, at least maybe 48 to 53 men reside. We don't have beds. You sleep on the floor. There's no toilet. There's a hole in the corner. And that hole doesn't, it, 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 it has a system where water can flush in after you've used the toilet, but that system is operated from the outside of the room on the outside of the jail. And so it's done for you by the prison guards. And it's a form of punishment to say that you will, you will stay with whatever is in that hole up until whatever prison guard feels like they will come and they will activate it for you. But this whole journey carried on. I spent the whole of that year in and out of prison, arrested on numerous occasions. After, we, after this experience, I came out. I was out on bail, but I couldn't leave the country, couldn't come back to my family. So I was away from, for them for about a year and a half. Eventually, the case went to trial, and we won it. Somehow God came through. I could tell you the story, but I'm out of time. And I thought we were done with it. I was preparing to be with my family. And in January of 2019, the new government had come into power since Robert Mugabe had been kicked out. And I remember they'd made decisions that were exactly like his. They began to mess the country up again. So I thought, why don't we speak up again? Literally, I had my bag packed ready to leave the country. And I thought, no, why don't we just do this one more time? So we did it one more time. And within a matter of days after the shutdown had happened, successful shutdown, message delivered, within a couple of days, 18 armed police officers came to my house and I was arrested. Spent another month in Shikurubi maximum security prison, was only released at the end of February 2019. Again, I spent the year, the whole year up until November of 2019, and that became two years away from my family. Eventually, in November of 2019, we won that case. And on Christmas Day, I managed to leave the country so I could come and spend some time with my family and recuperate. But this is what the Bible says quickly as I close this morning. James chapter 5 and verse 17. I have one minute to go. James chapter 5 and verse 17. The Bible says, Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I don't have the time to give you the background story, but when you have time, go to First Kings in chapter one, and you'll read about Elijah and how this man prayed and things happened. Folks at Ethnos today, I'm here to tell you that when people pray, God intervenes. When people pray, when people are bold enough to pray about a situation, whether it's your own life, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, no matter what it is, God always needs just one person to pray. Just one person. And it doesn't matter what your social standing is. Whether you are somebody who is known or someone who is not known. Whether you are someone who has a big bank account or someone who doesn't have a bank account. All it takes is that one person who is bold enough and courageous enough to say, I'm going to pray about this situation in our community. And somehow I'll expect that God will move and it may be through me. Folks, whatever you do, if you have something that you're struggling with in terms of finding a solution, bring it before God in prayer. If it's your children, pray for them. If it's your marriage, pray for it. If it's an addiction, pray about it. If it's a community issue that weighs heavily on your heart, pray. Just ask God in your own words. You don't have to say thou, this, they... In the King James language, sometimes people are afraid to pray because they think you have to speak like King James. Thou, O God, our residentest in New Brunswicketh, may your presence engulf this. Nah. Sometimes it's just you saying, Lord, we need you in this community. Say, Lord, we need you in this family. And you'll be surprised what happens. Folks, this morning... I ask you to receive that testimony and that encouragement. That you're, you're where you are geographically and relationally for a reason. And that reason is to affect that place with the presence of God. And again, you may think, who am I? I know. What I love about that scripture says, Elijah was a man of like passions in another version. And, and then he says, that he was a man just like us. In a few weeks, I go back to Zimbabwe. My family is here, but in a few weeks, I go back to Zimbabwe. But this time, it's a different going back. I know who backs me up. I know who hears my prayers. I know who looks after me. And I've always said this on this journey. It's been a crazy journey. I've been in in places where I am not qualified to be in, to speak about Zimbabwe, to make representation, whether it's the United Nations or whether it is... It is some of, the, some, of the most, uh, some of the most amazing platforms. I'm a man of lowly education. I don't have a college graduation, by the way. But I do have something, something that the corridors of power on this earth cannot resist. And it's access to my Father. Jesus put it this way. He said in John fourteen fourteen, I believe. He said, and you will ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. This morning, be blessed. You can thank you so much for having me here to share this testimony and to share this story. God bless you guys. Thank you so much once again.